0: Hard to do that holding the baby, isn't it? It's all right. Moms are amazing. The things they can do with one hand. They actually, there was at the Texas Rangers baseball game last night, they said a guy was carrying his baby down the the steps and tried to catch a foul ball. It hit him in the hand. He didn't catch it. Luckily, he didn't drop the baby. You know, that was the main thing. Amazing what moms can do. Dads can't do that. All right. We're going to see on the street interview asking people their views of death. Let's watch this. June, are you ever planning to die in your life? I have no choice. Okay, all right. Sure, everybody dies at some point in their life. Yeah, okay. Eventually. Most definitely. Really? Not right now. I'm going to make those plans later. Okay. Okay. Right. One day I'm going to die. Right. And I'm fixing to go back to Iraq. Uh, oh, wow. uh, it's kind of sketchy on that right now. It's one of those situations, or one of those topics you kind of hesitant hiss- to talk yeah. about. I uh, I don't plan to die, but I know I'm going to die. Yeah. Right. So are you afraid to die? Honestly, yes. But I do know where I'm going when, if I do die. Where would that be? I know that I'm going to heaven. Okay, why? So. I know God is my personal Savior. I have trusted him all my life I trust him in everything I do is I find myself in one of them situations you know where I just can't take it anymore and I just say okay God you know I just please help me you know and I I can tell that he's right there um are you afraid to die yes uh it's always been a fear in my life you know not something I've always wanted to happen but just always scared that I knew it was going to happen okay are you afraid to die yes I don't know what it is are you to die? No. No, I'm not afraid. As far as my soul goes, I don't want to leave my family. Oh, okay. die? No. Why not? I believe in the afterlife. Okay. All right. Do you know what happens after you die? Mm-mm. No idea. <laughs> I'm going to see Jesus. Really? Okay. I think you're just dead. Okay. that's <laughs> it dead, dead, oh. gone. Okay. What do you think happens after you die? I think you are made to pay for the way you lived your life, and hopefully I've lived it well enough for the rewards of heaven. So you're feeling pretty good about yourself? Yeah, pretty good. I know I have a lot of work to do. After I die, I don't have any idea. I hope I I think I know, but that's debatable. People have been debating that for centuries. I don't have any idea. I hope I I think I know, but people have been debating debating that for centuries. Death is a question that we struggle with, isn't it? Well, our table discussion today, bring those lights up, Donald, for the table discussion. Um, Here are two questions that I want you to discuss for just a few moments. First one is just talk about some popular theories of death. Things that you've heard, maybe uh, newscasters, maybe something these people said. Maybe you've heard Hollywood stars. We could, we could go all day about their theories on death. But just talk about that and then talk about whether those popular theories about death offer any hope or um, any sense of satisfaction to you or the folks that carry those. All right? Popular theories of death, do those po- theories offer a sense of satisfaction? All right, so have you figured out the answers to life in that short amount of time? Yes, this table has. If you have any questions, just move over to this table. They'll they'll enlighten you. What are some popular theories of death? Purgatory. Reincarnation, that's a good one. Your spirit floats there. Aliens come pick you up. That's a good one. That's always been one of my favorites. Great White Throne of Judgment. Sounds like that's out of the Bible. Yeah. See what? You die and you rot. I mean, one of the guys on the video said, we just died. That's it. That seems like a rather helpless or hopeless existence to me. Everybody goes to heaven. Goes to heaven. That's one of the theories. That's right. Heaven or hell. Heaven or hell. Okay. Your you get your, own, get your own planet. Yes. That, that is a theory, yes it is. Um, now, I, I don't know about you, but when, for me, whenever I'm trying to figure out really tough questions, I try to go to someone who is smarter than me. And um, on the question of death, it, it only makes sense to me that if you want to know what happens on the other side of death, you should probably consult someone who has died And come back to life and says, I have gained victory over life. I'm not talking about near-death experiences. There's all kinds of books out there on near-death experiences. Those people, they may have clinically died, you know, like their heart stopped beating, but they weren't weren't dead for long. They came back to life. They're going to die again. I'm talking about the one who died, was in the grave for several days, came back to life never to die again. That's the one that I, I consider the authority on this subject. And so I'm going to consult him. Never made sense to me why you would follow a religious leader who's dead and in a grave who says he had the answers to life when you have the choice of following a religious leader who died, came back to life. And it's the only religious movement in the world that we celebrate an empty grave. The others go to a grave full of dead men's bones. So I just, for me, I'm going to choose the one who came back to life never to die again. We're going to talk a little bit about that today. It was a bright and beautiful August day in 1990 when Toby Macaulay, his best friend, and their girlfriends rented a catamaran to go sailing off the coast of Mexico. Nearly two miles offshore, Tobin's buddy and the girls jumped into the warm water for a leisurely swim. They were laughing and splashing until suddenly Tobin's friend began shouting for help. Cramps had gripped his legs. Quickly, Tobin maneuvered the catamaran as close as he could to the swimmers. The girls scrambled on board. Tobin glanced around the boat for a life jacket, but there weren't any. So he dove into the water to save his friends. The problem was that the girls didn't know how to sail. Frantically, they tried to keep the catamaran near the guys, but the current pulled the craft away faster than Tobin and his friend could swim toward it. Pretty soon, the boat drifted out of sight, and 29-year-old Tobin and his 30-year-old friend were left behind to drown. When soldiers march off to war, they understand that they may not come back. When someone contracts a serious disease, they understand that they may die. But when someone goes sailing off the coast of Mexico with some friends, they never expect that that could be their last moments here on earth. And when people woke up on Monday, August 29th, they had no idea that death and destruction were just a few hours away in New Orleans, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama. These folks have suffered greatly, and and I know you've seen pictures. And everybody, it's amazing to me, because everybody who's there, Oprah and all these stars and all the, the reporters are saying, what you see on TV does not, Jerry lives there. This is Bridget and April's dad here. He lives there and he said it's like a war zone. Um, nothing prepared them for what they saw when they were on the ground. And what are these folks going to do? What do people do after 9-11? We're, this is the four year, can you believe it's been four years since the Twin Towers fell? What do you do when you're faced with a crisis, when a disaster happens? There's, there's three stages that, that you go through. The first stage is uh, rescuing, finding and saving those people who are still alive. And that can take days, and in the case of, of folks in New Orleans, because of the levee breaks and because of that, um, it, it, it took a couple of weeks um, to, to get it, to save the folks who could be saved. And we can debate all of the response of the government and all that stuff. That's not what we're talking about right now. First thing you do is you try to rescue. The second thing you do is you try to resume. And that's getting water and electricity, the basic necessities, back um, so that you can begin doing something else. I I heard that in in Mississippi today, September 11th, is supposed to be the day that electricity is turned back on in Mississippi. I also heard yesterday that in some parts of New Orleans, some parts, uh, the, the smallest part, They were going to have some electricity. There's a lot of places they're saying it may be months before they get electricity and water back in New Orleans. Um, The last step is rebuilding, and this can take years. I don't think any of us expects New Orleans to be back to normal by Christmas. That's not going to happen. If you saw Biloxi, Mississippi, um, that was strange to me to see it because I was there a few years ago with my parents for a uh, naval CB reunion. My dad was in the CBs back in World War II. And the place where we ate is no longer there. It's just a foundation. It's it's really strange to think about this. This is going to take a lot of time for people to rebuild. Why is it that death catches us off guard? I'm not trying to be an alarmist here, but it seems like a lot of people look at the national average age of 72 years and they look at that like it's guaranteed to them. It's not. You are not guaranteed to get to 72. There's no saying that there are two things that are certain in life. What's that? Death and taxes. You can cheat on your taxes, but I've never found anybody yet who was able to cheat death. It's ugly, it's unnatural, and it's very efficient. One out of one dies. And I heard a cynic say that life is merely a sexually transmitted disease with 100% mortality. There's an optimist for you. Um... (laughs) Even though we know everyone eventually dies, it always seems unnatural and unfair. And there's a reason for that. The reason that it catches us off guard, the reason that we feel that we should live forever is God planted that feeling in our hearts when he created us. Ephesians, uh, Ecclesiastes 3.11 says this, God has planted eternity in the human heart. The reason you think you should live forever is because you were made in the image of God to live forever. One day your heart will stop beating. That will be the end of your body, but that will not be the end of you. Your earthly body is just a temporary residence for your spirit. And the Bible talks about this. This is incredible to me. The Bible calls your earthly body a tent. Now, nobody wants to live permanently in a tent, do they? No, we, we don't expect folks to. That's a temporary residence. But the Bible refers to your body in heaven as a house. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians 5.1. For we know that this tent we live in, our body here on earth, is torn down. God will have a house in heaven for us to live in. A home He Himself has made, which will last forever. Death is not your termination. Death is your transition into eternity. And that means there are eternal consequences to every action here on earth. Everything you do on here strikes a chord that vibrates into eternity. All of your actions have consequences that last beyond you and beyond the grave. If that's true, then we better figure out how to rebuild from crisis. Because Jesus Christ himself said, in this world, you will have trouble. Anybody here not have trouble? We have trouble. But he said, take heart. I've overcome the world. He didn't say that when you become a Christian, you'll have no trouble. He said, when you become a Christian, it is guaranteed that I'll walk with you through trouble. And you have the power to face anything when you have Jesus Christ in your life. Well, let's let's figure out how do we rebuild our lives? Number one, you release your grief. Release your grief. You can probably relate to this, but people feel all sorts of emotions when they go through a crisis. Give me some emotions that people um, go through when they suffer a crisis. Cry. Anger. What? Cry. Cry? Fear. Desperation, what? Sorrow. Sorrow. Bitterness. Bitterness, yes. Resentment, uh, resentment, helplessness, and grief. Are these feelings fun? No, actually they're kind of scary and we don't know what to do with them. Um, the most important thing you can do with them is acknowledge them to God. Here are some responses that some people have. Some people resist them. I won't feel anything. You know people like that? They refuse to acknowledge anything that has anything to do with emotions. Resist them. Um, Some people rehearse them. This is kind of one of my weaknesses. Rehearse them and they torture themselves over and over. If I'd only done this, I could have done this. It would have been different if I'd done this. And they torture themselves. Um, Some people reduce them. They minimize them. Oh, it's no big deal. Uh, Some people repress them. They stuff them inside. Well, you know what happens When, when you swallow your feelings, your stomach keeps score. You know, people with ulcers, a lot of times what they've done is on the outside, they may look good, but on the inside, they're rotting away because they've been stuffing their feelings and and refusing to acknowledge them. Instead, release them to God in prayer. Look at Psalm 18, 4. The ropes of death surrounded me. The floods of destruction swept over me. The grave wrapped its ropes around me. Death itself stared me in the face. But in my distress, I cried out to the Lord. Yes, I prayed to my God for help. Does it sound like that was a psalm of David? Does it sound like David is, is acquainted with suffering and pain? Sure. Tell God exactly how you, can fe- how you feel. He can handle it. Psalm 62 8 says, Pour out your heart to Him, for God is our refuge. In a storm, I don't know if you've been in, in the lake or on, on the ocean in a storm, but in a storm, what are you looking for? A place to hide, a refuge. You're looking for, ideally, some cove that is protected from everything else so that you can get in there and get out of the wind and the waves because it's going to batter you. You're looking, if, if you're in the middle of, of Lake Richland Chambers, you're just looking for shore. And you'll beach that boat just so that you can get on solid land. Well, you need a refuge in the time of trouble. And the Bible, in, in just in the book of Psalms, it calls God a refuge over 43 times. Don't turn from God, turn to Him in your trouble. Second thing you do is resist bitterness. Somebody mentioned this. You get bitter. Look what it says in, in Hebrews twelve fifteen. Watch out that no bitterness takes root. Circle that phrase, bitterness takes root. Watch out that no bitterness takes root among you, for it springs up, for as it springs up it causes deep trouble, hurting many in their spiritual lives. No one starts off bitter. It takes practice to become bitter. You have to practice days and days to become bitter. We all have the power to decide how tragedy affects us. If we choose bitterness, what we're actually doing is we're slamming the door shut on our own happiness because you cannot be bitter and happy at the same time. It is physically and emotionally impossible. And here's the thing. This is, this is something we've got to understand. You choose how happy you are. See, it's not the things that happen to you that make you bitter. It's what you think about after those things happen to you, right? You become what you think. If you let somebody get in your brain and and you become mad at them, angry at them, and then bitter towards them, you're not hurting them. You are hurting yourself because you're just keeping it in. Okay? So, if if there's no correlation between the things that happen to us and real happiness, how in the world do we resist bitterness? Because I did a, a funeral about a month ago for a little old lady who buried her three-year-old daughter. Her daughter was killed in a, in a tragic accident. When um, a little bit later, she, she buried a husband. Then she buried her 11-year-old uh, grandson who had cancer. Actually, I think he was 13 when he died, but he, he contracted cancer at 11. Then a few years later, her six-year-old um, great-grandson was killed in a car accident. This woman, and that's just the beginning. That's the tip of the iceberg. But you would never have known the pain and grief that she went through because she was the sweetest person. She'd see me. She'd hug me. She'd hold on to my hand. Just pat my hand. Doug, I just love you. I pray for you every day. What's going on in your life? How are your, how's your wife? How's your kids? I would leave. I would go to see her to cheer her up. <laughs> she cheered me up. She said, I pray for you every day. She'd had pain and suffering. How in the world was she a joyful person? There's no correlation, you see. She chose not to dwell on that. She said, I'm going to trust God. I don't understand. And now she's walking the streets of gold. I imagine there was some kind of reception when she came into heaven. Because God said, oh, you're one of my treasured ones. And I have brought you home. Well, if there's no correlation, how do you resist bitterness? Number one is you accept what you cannot change. Would you agree that much of life is beyond your control? In Alcoholics Anonymous and in Celebrate Recovery, which we're going to be starting in, in about eight weeks time. In those programs, there's something called the Serenity Prayer. You ever heard it? God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. That's a prayer that they go through all of the time. Because there's some things in life you cannot change. You have to learn to accept them. Second thing is you focus on what's left, not what's lost. Focus on what's left, not what's lost. Find something to be grateful for because gratitude destroys depression. Have you seen folks who've said, over and over, I've seen seen folks who said, I've got my family, we can start over. That's enough. Those people have hope, and I believe that they're going to make it. The folks that are sitting around feeling sorry for themselves and getting bitter over it, then I seriously question what's going to happen in their future. Because they're going to keep stumbling over things that are behind them in counseling. One of the things they tell you is if you if you can find something that people can laugh about, then they have hope. They're, they're actually beginning the process of healing. But if you find someone who cannot laugh, cannot smile about anything, then, then they are seriously close to clinical depression. So find something to be grateful for. Now, here's here's some table discussion back to table discussion. I want you to make two lists. The first list is things that are going on in your life that you cannot control. The second list is things that I'm thankful for, things I'm grateful for. Ready? Just as quickly as you can. List those out. Go. Yeah, man, write them down. Come on, Matt. Be thankful for that. Be thankful you can write, buddy.
1: A lot of discussion going on
0: here. Tell me a couple of things that you cannot control. Death. Gas. Can I hear an amen? Something else you can't control. Someone else's feelings. That's right. That's one of the things I, I think of. I cannot control anybody else's actions or their feelings. Now, I can contribute to their feelings. I can do some boneheaded things that that hurt my wife's feelings or my children's feelings. But I can't control those things. I can only control me. And where we get in trouble is when we try to control other people, right? One of my favorite sayings right now is, do not try to be the Holy Spirit for me. Someone else already has that job description and they're better than you. Right? We can't be the Holy Spirit for somebody else. We're supposed to love people... And then let God worry about changing their actions. What are some things you're thankful for? Come on, let's rattle some stuff off. I want I want you to leave here with some stuff to be grateful for. My education. Vacation. No, my education. Education. Alive healthy, alive, healthy, and blessed. This is from a man whose home is in New Orleans. Family. Family. Friends. Friends. God. My home. My home. My home. Job. Job. Kids. Health. All right? Now, so the first thing you do is, is you uh, release your grief to God, and then you resist bitterness. The third thing, reevaluate your life. Reevaluate your life. A crisis helps clarify our values by showing us what really matters and what really doesn't matter. I saw a special the other day, and they said it was amazing the number of U-Hauls that were abandoned in New Orleans. Evidently, people were were packing up, ready to go, and and I don't know if they waited too long. I don't know what the situation was. That's what the reporter said. He said things that were in there were things that obviously weren't as important as life. You find out real quickly what's, what's going on in somebody's life. I had a seminary professor who said this. He said, suffering drastically reduces your wish list true, isn't it? I I talked to Ryan just a little bit about this the other day. When Mandy was in ICU, was he concerned about what kind of car he was driving? No. Was he concerned about his businesses driving? Was he worried about how tall the grass was in his yard? One time when the emotion just kind of overwhelmed him, he started crying and he looked at you, Mandy, you were actually behind the curtain and they were working on you. And I see you and he said, that's my life. That's my life right there. You see, if, if we'll allow crises to help us reevaluate our lives, then we can get our priorities back in order. Because it's really easy to get them out of whack, isn't it? In this society. Jesus said, life is not measured by how much one owns. Don't confuse your net worth with your self-worth because they're not related. Don't confuse your possessions with your purpose in life. How many cars do you think are still in New Orleans underwater with a bumper sticker that says, He who dies with the most toys wins? Probably several. Something along those lines. That's not important right now, those cars. Um, a tragedy teaches you that the greatest things in life are not things. Life consists of relationships. One family said, We were lucky. And the reporter said, How were you lucky? And they said, because nobody died. They have hope for the future. Well, there's only one way to have real security, and that's to build your life on things that last, not on things that are temporary. You can lose a home, a car, a loved one. You can lose your beauty. You can lose your health. But Jesus said, how do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul in the process? Is anything worth more than your soul? What, would, what do you think people who stand before Jesus Christ, who did not accept Him, who rejected Him in this life, when they stand before Him and He says, I do not know who you are, depart from me, what do you think they would give to buy back their soul? They'd give anything. But it's too late when you're on that side of the grave. So allow a crisis to help you re-evalu- reevaluate your life and then base your life on things that last beyond the grave. Fourth thing, receive help from others. Receive help from others. It's a huge mistake to isolate yourself when you go through a crisis. In drug rehab, you're taught that if you share a pain, the pain is cut in half. If you share a happiness, it's doubled. Have you ever figured that out? Man, when, when I have something good, first thing I do is I call my wife. Guess what? She does the same thing to me. Guess what? But I, I remember a time in my life I didn't have anybody to call that's a pretty depressing time. A time when I, when I would come home, I bought a... You know, back when, when answering machines were the, the new rage, I bought one of those suckers, stuck it in my apartment, and I'd come home and for weeks there'd never be a flashing light. I'd like, man, I am some kind of loser. <laughs> I'd watch TV, bought me a VCR, and watch more TV. <laughs> Went to work. I, I, I had some kind of sorry life because I didn't have anybody to share it with. It was, it was kind of bad. God made us to be in relationships. And even though it's humbling sometimes, when we first started this church, it blew my mind how people would come. And there'd be a bag of groceries sitting on our front porch. People wouldn't take credit for it because they knew we couldn't get paid. We didn't have any money. And it blew my mind. But it's, it's humbling to let somebody help you out. Um, but it's also cool to know somebody's on your team. To know somebody's cheering for you. You know that old cheers thing. Everybody wants to go a place where everybody knows your name. I mean, if when you walked in that door, everybody's like, Norm! That feels good, doesn't it? That's why he went back. He couldn't stand his wife. He was always at the bar because people liked him there. Put up with him there. I'm not advocating you go to the bar. No. I'm saying we need to build a community here that is like that. Without the alcohol. Look at Romans twelve five. Since we are all one body in Christ, we belong to each other and each of us needs all the others. Circle that phrase. Each of us needs all the others. We need the support and perspective of other people. That's one of the reasons that we stress being a part of a church family. Um, because when you join a local church family, you have those relationships in place before a crisis happens. That sounds pretty smart to me. So you need three things. You need God's presence, you need God's promises, and you need God's people to make it in life. One of the best ways to get connected at New Life is in our small groups ministry. And by the way, next week we are going to have um, a connection. The tough question is friendships. And how do you get deeper friendships? We're going to have a meal right after church, and we're having Mexican food. And there's a place back there that you can sign up to bring Mexican food, whether you want to bring the the hamburger meat or the refried beans or whatever. My wife did it. I don't even know what else is on the menu. I just like to eat it. So you just sign up, and you can bring whatever you want to bring. We're going to have a time after church that day where we just sit around. We're going to play a couple of games. that will help us get into groups. And then we're actually going to decide. Host home, we're going to pair you up with another small group for child care if you need that. And, and we want to leave this time with everybody connected because you need God's people. That's what the Bible says. You need God's people in order to do life in a meaningful way because you're going to need relationships. If you're not in a crisis now, you're going to go through a crisis at some time. And, and what I'm going to say is this. Don't think that you have to go to that small group until Jesus returns. You know, if you go and you think there's a bunch of weirdos there or wackos and, and you don't like them, don't say that. And don't come tell me, just say, you know, I'd like to try another small group. But what we're going to ask you to do is try it for at least a month. That's four small groups. We meet twice a month and uh, try it four times. If you don't like it, just real quietly with a smile on your face, gratitude that you even got to go to a group, say, you know, I'd like to try another group. And we'll say, go for it. But don't drop out of small groups altogether. Because you can, you can worship in a crowd, but you cannot fellowship in a crowd. Where fellowship happens, where we take off our masks, and when we're sitting around in somebody's house having a meal, somebody pours out their heart, and we pray over them, our, our lives get knit together, our hearts get knit together. And it's a big deal. So that's what we're going to do next week. That's just a little commercial for that. Number five, rely on the Lord. You cannot build a healthy life without God. If you want to be happy no matter what, do these things. Number one, lean on Christ for stability. I said you need God's promises, you need God's presence and God's people. Well, here's one of God's promises. Psalm 112. Such people who lean on God will will not be overcome by evil circumstances. Those who are righteous will long be remembered. They do not fear bad news. They confidently trust the Lord to take care of them. The second thing you need to do is listen to Christ for direction. Jeremiah 29.11. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Is that up there? Yeah. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to personalize this. Where it says you, we're going to read this out loud together. I want you to put your name in there. All right? Read it with me. For I know the plans I have for Doug, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give Doug a future and a hope. Make it personal. Because God has a plan for your life to give you a future and and hope. The next thing is look to Christ for salvation. 2 Corinthians 1, we felt we were doomed to die and saw how powerless we were to help ourselves. But that was good. That phrase just blows my mind. Paul is saying we were despairing of life. And he says, but that was good. Why was it good? Then he tells you, for then we put everything into the hands of God who alone could save us for he can even raise the dead. And He did help us and saved us uh, from a terrible death. Yes, and we expect Him to do it again and again. Humans can live weeks without food. They can live days without water, minutes without air. But humans cannot live a second without hope. You've seen people who have given up hope? They're gone. They're doomed. Where are you placing your hope? Is it in yourself? Because no offense. (laughs) I would personally prefer to have someone more powerful to help me out, you know, than you or me. You know, Steve's a nurse in the ER, and if I have to go to the ER, I have total confidence in Steve. But if I'm in a plane and my plane's about to go down, I'm not praying to Steve. (laughs) I I need a higher power (laughs) to help me get through that situation. Um, Whenever typhoons hit in the rural Pacific Islands... The natives lash themselves to the largest palm trees they can find to secure them until the storm passes by. You need to be lashed to God because He never wavers. The Bible says He does not change like shifting shadows. I'll probably do an interview of Ryan next week just to, to let you hear some of the things that were going on in his life when they went through their crisis and how his small group and how his church family stepped up. That's what we're supposed to do. Now, what do you need to recover from? Is it a crisis, a breakup, a divorce, the death of a loved one, a career situation, a health problem, financial disaster, broken dreams? What do you need to to recover from? What do you need to rebuild your life from? Here's another promise of God in Job 22, 23. Come back to God Almighty and He'll rebuild your life. Now... Before I do the last point, I just want to ask you to close your eyes because I want to give you an opportunity to commit your life to God right this moment. And you can just pray silently along with me as I pray out loud. If you want to do this, if you want to give your life to God, no matter where you are, but this may be the first time, it may be the 100th time that you've given your life to Christ. But if you would consider this, pray along with me silently as I pray out loud. Dear God, I have messed up a lot of things in my life. And I've had some losses. Today, I want to start the rebuilding process with you in charge. I want to pour out my heart to you. You know my feelings better than anyone else. And I need you in my life. I don't want to be a bitter person. I want to be a better person. Please forgive me for not trusting you. And for hurting others. Help me forgive those who have hurt me. Help me remember that life is not about accumulating things. But fulfilling your purposes for me. I want to let go of my pride and fear. That has kept me from letting others get close to me. Help me get connected to a small group. Most of all, Jesus, teach me to rely on you moment by moment so I can know your peace. Amen. The last thing that you need to do to rebuild your life is to reach out to others. Reach out to others. God has wired the universe so that we get better by helping others. I can't tell you the feelings of satisfaction and joy I get when I turn off the TV, I get off my tail and I go help somebody else. It's just it's it's the way God wired us. You reap what you sow, and that's a biblical principle. So here's here's three ways we can we can help others during this, this time of disaster that's hit our nation. First, by praying for them. First Samuel twelve twenty three Far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. I can do more after I've prayed, but I can do no more than pray until I've prayed. Prayer is the lifeline to God who has all the resources any of us need. Second, by sharing with them. 1 John three seventeen: If someone who is supposed to be a Christian has money enough to live well and sees a brother in need and won't help him, how can God's love be in him? Words without actions mean nothing. And third, by serving them. Galatians 6 2, help carry one another's burdens, and in this way you will obey the law of Christ. Now, there's a couple of things I want to ask you to do. First of all, on the back of your card, if you prayed today, whether it's the first time or the fifth time, just put I prayed to God. If it is your first time, go ahead and tell me that so I can I want to I want to talk with you. I want to um, have a time with you sometime so we can just talk further about that. But there's two other things that, and there's all kinds of service opportunities there. If you're interested in any of those things, check those boxes. But there's two other things that I want to do. Today, we'd set aside to take up a special offering for disaster relief, and it's going to go to the American Red Cross, um, and they'll use it wherever they see fit. Um, but this is above your tides. Uh, God said to to bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there would be food in his house. He said, test me now in this and see if I won't open for you the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing so great you cannot contain it. It's the only time in Scripture God said, test me. And it had to do with money because I think he knew money was a big deal, especially here in the United States. So if, if you want to give, I'm asking you to give above and beyond your tithes. And and I'm telling you, for us, it doesn't make sense. For me personally, it doesn't make sense for us to give if you just look at our bank account. But whenever I give, I'm telling God that God that, that money is not my God. He is. And Janie prayed the other night. She said, God, you know our situation. You're fully acquainted with our bank account. And we're trusting you. And so, give to God. And give to God's people over and above that. And anything, if you write a check, anything that says disaster or Hurricane Katrina, anything like that, we'll take that and we'll send a check on to the American Red Cross um, to help folks. I just was reading the Dallas Morning News today, and it's amazing the outpouring for this deal. Um, I wrote this down. The giving for Hurricane Katrina is two times greater than the giving after 9/11, it's three times greater than the giving for the tsunami, and money's still pouring in. You see, war and times of disaster bring out the best in men. It brings out the worst in men. You've seen looting. You've seen. You've heard stories of rape and killing and and theft. That just shows that we're all sinners. But I read about a church from saxey No training, nothing. There's a bunch of them. They picked up, they drove to Louisiana. All they had was water and some little relief bags. And they, there was one lady, I still see her picture on the in the paper. Um, they walked through mud to get to her. And they gave her this, had some water. I think it had um, some paper towels and, and some cheese crackers. And she was looking through it. She saying, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. And at the bottom, there was a $100 bill. And she burst into tears. There were five of them there. It says that she just ran through and started hugging all of them. And all of them started bawling. They're standing in the middle of mud, bawling. That's some of the best that humanity has to offer right there. So we can give, we can do some things. We've already taken one um, load of stuff to Fairfield. You see some stuff down on the first floor. Those are the things that that we separated. We took clothes and shoes and uh, those types of things first. We've got toys that we're still taking up. Uh, If you have children downstairs in the children's area, you'll get a letter today saying that we're still um, taking things. Things like diapers and wet wipes and and toothbrush, toothpaste. There's a little kit that we're putting together. Um, We can do some amazing things. We're a small church, but we serve a big God. And when the, when the boy gave his fish and loaves to, to Jesus, he fed 5,000 people. It's not up to us to give what we don't have. It's up to us to give what we do have and let Jesus perform the miracle. Let's pray together and we'll be dismissed. And I hope you'll come back next week ready for a new adventure. And then after that, we start our Life Hurts, God Heals series. And let me just clarify that. Is there anybody here who's never had a hurt or a habit or a hang-up? Let me see your hand. i was just going to give you permission not to be here for that series because it's for people who have hurts, habits, and hang-ups. It's not just for drug addiction. We are going to learn how to put our lives together like God intended. If you've ever been hurt in this life, if you ever had a habit, you ever had a hang-up, this series is for you. At the end of the series, two weeks before the end of the series, I think we said November 6th, is when we're kicking off on a Sunday night our Celebrate Recovery program. Um, And we are looking forward to that. I just meet more people every week. I say, you've got to come. You've got to be involved in this because God's going to do amazing things. I know divorced people that have gone through it. I know folks in drug addiction. I know folks that have struggled with homosexuality issues, have gone through Celebrate Recovery, and God's done some amazing things. So be in prayer for that. Last thing, I, I'm just talking like crazy today. There's a, there's a sheet back there. There's two calendars back there. We are, we are seriously praying about what God wants us to do about a building. And we're just admitting to God that we don't know. Because we need something on the first floor. We need something big enough. You know, I think our record so far is 38 children downstairs. That's a bunch of children. <laughs> we need a place that's big enough for us and our children. And so we're just praying. We're going to do 30 days of prayer and fasting. And there's, there's a, a sheet back there. And if you'd be interested in just taking a day, the way we've done this, it may sound funny to you, but this is just the way we've done it. We go from 8 p.m. until 8 p.m. That's a 24-hour period. So like if somebody signs up on today, on September 11th, then you'll go until 8 p.m. tomorrow night. And we're just trying to, to get, and, and it can be more than one person on one day. If there's one day that's better for you, you know, if you got a banquet scheduled at work, that's not a good day for you to fast. Um, Because you're going to be tempted to eat But if you would like to do that Sign your name up And we're just going to go through First time we did it our church was only like 20 members 20 people And so we just kept doing it over and over again Um, I think there were 10 of us that signed up And we just rotated through that And we can do that But what we're asking is we're saying God, we need you to provide a building Uh, We can stay here We're not being kicked out of here The owner would like for us to stay here